This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here, and I am so excited. Um, every, I feel like I start this podcast every episode by saying that, but I truly I am. And in association with my good friends at CDF Capital and my friends at Food for the Hungry, I love these conversations because we get to talk with pastors who want to get better at the craft of communication, but we always want to be the kind of people where our character leads the way. And Throughout kind of this season, there are times when I will have a book come across my desk or it's recommended and I will read it and I just know uh, this is somebody, if they will say yes, uh, we need to have on the Craft and Character podcast. And um, a few episodes ago, I interviewed Chuck DeGroat and he, he told me about this book, uh, Try Softer. And he, he told me about the author, uh, Andy Colbert, and I, I was like, okay, I'm going to go because whatever Chuck says, I do. And I, I literally went in to Barnes & Noble, loved the cover, bought the book, read it in one setting, began to follow Andy on Instagram, and I reached out and she graciously said yes. And so, um, Andy, I, I am so excited. I literally am so excited because I... I I feel like I've told you this, but um, in 2020, when I read your book, this was um, hands down top three, top three books that I read of all of last year. I, maybe it was because of how crazy 2020 was. Um, maybe it was because I am just naturally hard on myself, but I felt like Try Softer gave such profound language to... Um, it's just a healthier, more holistic, kinder way to live. And so welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to talk about your book. How are you doing today? Well, thank you for having me. I'm doing well. It's really good to be with you. <laughs> well, tell me, tell me a little bit about like, about the book, like what, I mean, TriSoftr is such a great title, but where did, where did this idea come from for you? And especially, you know, we're, we're, we're talking to pastors who are, are, are communicators um, and, and I think often our language um, sometimes is a little bit harsher, a little bit stronger, um, but try softer. Give us a little backstory of why this title and the, and the heart behind the book. Yeah. Well, I love just from the start, I love that you're naming how important language is because I think, I think that really matters. And I'm sure we'll get into some of the uh, nuts and bolts of that. But I think for me, the, you know, some of the story behind this is, um, is that I am, a, I'm a survivor of complex trauma from my childhood. And the big picture idea is that I learned to survive and cope by what doing what I call white knuckling it. Wow. And, and that, you know, there's, there's a lot to that. There's so much we could unpack, but the idea behind it is that when it's not safe to exist as who we really are. We learn to push past what we can really do 
And and our body, there's physiological consequences to that. You know, we have to go up into either our sympathetic nervous system, or we have to go down into what's called our dorsal vagal, um, which would be sort of like a freeze response. And so I spent a lot of my life um, either on the cusp of almost going into that sort of fight or flight. And sometimes there's another response called fawning um, or going down into sort of a dissociative place. And so um, this was my story. This is my story. I've I lived a lot of my life like that. And I didn't think there was anything um, abnormal about that. I thought that's maybe what it meant to be a person. I thought um, I didn't know anything different. I mean, I, I hadn't, I had an inkling that things in my family weren't the way they should be, but I didn't have language. I didn't have a picture of, of how things could be different. And so as I got older and I, you know, I went to, you know, I got my undergrad degree and then I, um, you know, kind of moved in a direction to wanting to really help people. I became a therapist and at that point though, I didn't have a good understanding even then. of the amount of trauma, particularly what's called either relational trauma, interpersonal trauma, um, you know, within my family, uh, particularly, you know, one of my parents was, was terrifying for me. And so that has profound effects on how it shapes our body, our nervous system. So all that leads me to, I, you know, I graduated, I'm a therapist, I had this really gentle and just very wise supervisor, because I was a young therapist, um, you know, just early on. And I was sharing with him this sense of, I cared so much about my clients, but it was like, it was too much caring. It was like, I just, I was caring I was losing myself in, in what I was doing. I, I was trying so hard to be a good therapist. I wanted to help so badly. Um, and, and I remember, you know, his name was John and he was so kind and so grounded, like his, his settled, you know, that feeling when you're with someone where you, you feel more settled because yeah. you're with them. And he said to me one day, he said, Andy, you're doing a really good job. Um, You care so much about your clients and I'm so proud of you. Um, But I wonder what it would be like instead of trying so hard if you tried softer. And, um, you know, that it hit me profoundly. Um, I wish I could say it was like, flipping a switch. And then from then on, I tried softer. (laughs) That'd have been great. Um, But it wasn't that. Um, At the time, what first hit me was actually, I felt a little bit angry because I was like, well, that sounds great, John. (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice if we could all try? (laughs) You know, like who's going to get everything done? Um, But there was this other part of me that was like, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Like, wouldn't it be nice if I didn't have to work so hard? The those moments of exhale, when you when you know that there's truth, you don't necessarily know how to access it and implement it fully, but you know that there's something sacred and holy about that. You you you, uh, you mentioned this feeling of wanting to help 
so badly your clients. And I think, I think there's so many pastors who feel that, you know, they get in and they want to help. They want to help with their words. They want to help in, in pastoring uh, people through difficult moments and they can lose themselves and they can kind of lose that grounding. And, and just a second ago, you mentioned fight or flight. You, you mentioned another one, freeze, but you also mentioned fawning. I, I think for most people, they, they might not know what that means. Um, is there a connection between fawning and losing yourself? Mm, great question. Yep. So fawning, I'll just say this really quick, was a phrase coined by a therapist named Pete Walker. Okay. And it was first from his book on complex uh, trauma. Um, and so I just, just to give him, you know, a, a shout out there, but so it's a relatively new idea within the trauma world. And it's still, to be honest, there's, there's, I think there's more research that's really needed. Um, okay. Even sometimes I think it's not always recognized, but um even just based off of my lived experience and then my experience with my clients, I'm like, oh no, this is a thing. <laughs> this is a real thing. Um, and so it makes sense because Pete Walker is a survivor of complex trauma. And I find that oftentimes people with that, some of that lived experience combined with that training can really speak into some things that are not always recognized. But going back to your question, fawning is an adaptive response, meaning that it's not like, like animals don't have this response. Animals, um, mammals don't fawn. Okay. They, um, so this is a learned response that we begin to, over time, um, we learn to assess situations. And if we perceive that there's a threat for any reason, sometimes we're not even assessing it correctly. And a lot of times that's because of old trauma. Right. We, if we assess a situation like if I don't give this person, if I don't attend, if I don't overly attend to this person, there is going to be really bad consequences. So for me and my family, that was the totally my story. Like I learned like one of my main trauma responses um, was is fawning. It has learned was this learned adaptive behavior and what's interesting about this behavior is that it, it blends, it can blend different uh, nervous system states. So we're still connected a little bit to what's called our window of tolerance, just a little bit, but it's like, we're like on that trajectory of leaving ourselves. It's kind of like, I've got one toe in and that's what allows me to look at your body language and read your cues and but at the same time, I'm bringing this hypervigilance, like, what do you need? What do you want? What do you like? Where do you want to go? Um, and this is what is meant by leaving ourselves. Wow. Because I think when we are, you know, really the goal, for example, for me as a therapist is when I'm in a session with someone, it's almost like we're trying to allow our attention and our energy dance between you and then to me. And I, and it's not a, it's not something that I'm speaking about. I'm just experiencing in my body that I'm like with myself. I can notice that, um, oh, my shoulders are starting to get a little tense or, oh, my, my breathing's getting a little quicker. Like that's a cue yep. that maybe I'm starting to over attend. 
to the person I'm with. And, and to some, it's like, and this is where it can sometimes get confusing with faith. Because I think sometimes we're taught this is what it means to be really loving. Wow. Is that you do lose yourself, that you do deny that this is the, like, I think we've got confused what it means to deny ourselves. And, and for me, what I go back to from a faith standpoint is that, is that Jesus calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves, like yeah. as we love ourselves, this is how I want to love you. Yes. And that means that if I'm ignoring myself, if I'm shaming myself, if I'm suppressing myself, what kind of world does that create for my neighbor? Because I, I, that's, I mean, if we take that to its, the fruition of what that would mean, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and it would be, it would be harmful. Right. And so there's this sense of that. You know, there's times for us to really sacrificially love other people, but that has to come from a place of being with, like, I am choosing to give you this gift, not because I'm afraid, yeah, but because I want to, because I am loved, because I have what I need, um, because I, as a person, am valuable, and therefore I can... Um, I can allow my attention to dance and say, okay, what do you need? What do I need? What do you need? What do I need? And so for those of us um, who've been in systems, who've been in families, um, even culturally, I think this can, this can be a thing. Um, we can get this really, um, this uh, just a view that's not correct of what yeah. that means to, to be present with other people. And so fawning is different than caring yes. because if I'm afraid, like if I have to give you what you want, because I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't, that's not healthy. It's not. And it's actually, there's maybe signs there that there could be, you know, abuse or toxicity or other elements involved. That's so, it's so helpful. I mean, and that, that really gives, you know, such language and, and especially when you, when you talk about this, this self care, the self love, like what we're actually able to give to our neighbor. And, you know, I think of like my own childhood. Um, my dad went through a massive transformation towards the end of his life. Thanks be to God. And, um, but, but he had a lot of anger and I learned how to walk on eggshells and, I, you know, he'd come in and he worked in the, in, in LA and he'd open up his briefcase every, every night when he, you know, came home and there was a loaded 357 in there, you know? And, and so you, you kind of, you kind of learn to know what he was feeling. And I, I would always say before he met Jesus, there was like three, three things he'd say to me, you know, something wise, something funny, or he would cuss me out. So I, I, I could tell by the way he walked um, what dad I was going to get. And I, so if it was angry dad, it was grab my basketball when I get home and flee as fast as I could. If it was funny dad, it was like, okay, try to keep it, keep it going so that like I protect myself from him actually getting angry. Don't mess up. But sometimes I, 
I just, um, I could, f- I, I had no language for your body keep score. I had no language to listen to your body. I had no understanding of the incarnation outside of Jesus came, but not like what's happening within me. It, 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 but the anxiety, the fear, the second guessing, all of that. And yet the craziest piece of it is I learned how to read a room and I learned how to read people. So now as a pastor, it's this weird, it's this weird spot. Like I can read people, but I couldn't even read myself. Mm. Mm-hmm. So indicative of that font. Exactly. And as you were saying that, I was like, this is so crazy. I, I learned this ability to see another and for my own survival, um, make sure that they're good. But I had, I, I, it was almost shameful and shame filled to even get consider what was happening in, in little Steve or in 20 something Steve, in 30 something Steve, you know, and, and I think what makes that tricky, and it's curious when you, when you, you know, you, you talk about your story, but to, you discovered a lot of this while you're actually seeing clients. And I think one of the, the reasons pastors often resist self-love is Sunday's coming. I got to get up in front of people. So how, how did you practice trying softer when you actually had a whole way, um, a homeostasis, if you will, like a familiar way, but now you're having to try it on and practice it in front of real people? Mm, yeah, I think that's such a, a good point, especially um, given the context of what you're saying. You know, I know, you know, there's there's pastors who may be listening to this and that um, might feel like a block or resistance to, to something like this. And I think for me, um, there are several things that have, have come out of my work uh, in terms of because I've probably, I'd say it's been about 12 years of just really leaning in. And I mean, it doesn't mean like, um, I don't know, it's just been this process and it's an ebb and flow. And sometimes it's circular and I'm like, didn't I already deal with this? (laughs) Um, There are layers. So I just say that. And I think for me, one of the big things that I would want to just start with is that I think we have been socialized to believe in our culture um, that we're, that what we do is who we are. Right. So, so what your sermon is, how many people are at your church, you know, for me, it's like, how many clients do you have? How well is your book doing? Um, What, whatever, there's all these things. Right. And it's not to say that those things are, don't affect us. Obviously they do. Right. But what's so cool about this work and the thing that for me is always the invitation back home is that turning towards my own pain, turning towards my own story allows me to fully embody who I was created to be. And I cannot, like physiologically, we really cannot take people where we are not going Right. So for me, for example, as a therapist, let's say I have a client and they're super anxious because maybe some really hard things happened and they're just feeling these feelings. If I'm living outside of myself, 
my ability to attend to them is, I, I don't have much. <laughs> I will not have the capacity. I don't have the resources. I don't have the internal self to offer them. And so I think of folks who are listening and it's like, you know, I think we've got this idea in this West, in our Western culture that information changes people, right? but information can only take us so far. What we know about the brain and our body is that it's a lived experience that changes us. Right. And I think it's so fascinating how in the Bible, um, there's so much about living. There's so much about incarnation. Um, even just that, you know, for me, there's a, a constant touch point of looking at that Jesus lived in a body. Like, can you imagine being in the presence of Jesus? Like, like I wonder sometimes if like, if that was just as healing, like we don't get to hear about that as much because it's not words, but what we know is that presence changes us. Right. And oftentimes our words, if we can, if we can anchor our words in our presence, in our lived experience, in our um, vulnerable and yet appropriate, right? Like, cause when, when you're talking with folks, sure, you don't have to share every single hard thing that you're going through in your life. But you also don't have to white knuckle it. Yes. You also don't have to pretend. You also, and, and I think we actually do people a disservice when we do that because they don't have access to you either. Not only do you not have access to them, they don't have access to you. Right. And so I think, you know, so for folks listening, I just, I think it's a valid fear. It makes sense. That's, a, that's okay that that's a, that would be a worry. And yet what we know about how people really grow is that one moment of true presence is worth as all the Bible facts. Like if they feel like if they're outside of their window of tolerance, so if they're outside of the range of arousal that they can feel in a way that doesn't feel too overwhelming, um, information does not process in our brains when that happens. Yeah. And so, gosh, I just, for anyone who's listening, I just would want to encourage you that, that this is an invitation to turn towards your fears, your story with compassion, mm -hmm. knowing that that is God's posture to us. And your modeling of that is a whole sermon. Yes. That's a, that's a yeah. year's worth. <laughs> yes. That's that's so good. I mean, I think again the 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 power of presence. You know, um, in the in the Old Testament, this was the thing that they kept coming back to. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. It was just it was it was a place where they could almost feel seen and known and not white knuckle. And I think so much of life and what you talked about just a second ago is so helpful because. It made me think of the importance of language and what we often tell ourselves to anchor ourselves. And often I can feel a sense of exhale or peace or freedom, but then the, the words that I'm telling myself are words of a white knuckling spirit. And, 
And so when, when you talk about this kind of dance, um, when you talk about this, this kind of anchoring, are there certain phrases that you come back to? Are there certain, um, words that you're like, no, no, no. And, and obviously try softer was one I've just been like, uh, it's been helpful for me just in a sense of, or be kind to yourself. I've just been like, Hey, nobody else has had to go through what you've had to go through. There's no map here. So, so why are you putting so much pressure on yourself? Just be okay. You know, but are there, are there phrases that almost get you back into your body? If that makes sense? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I, and I, I think I might just build on that just a little, please. Yes. One of the ways that I contextualize some of this work for people is, is to say, and this is where the compassion continues to be helpful is to ask the question, like, let's say you have this ruminating voice in your head. That's that's like, oh, but I can't believe you didn't make those last five calls or uh, you should have got more done today or um, every, you know, all the other pastors did that, you know, whatever that is. And one of the things that has been really helpful for me to learn that comes from what I would call a trauma-informed lens, meaning just a holistic lens of how our bodies and our, in our experiences in our life inform how we show up in the world now and how that includes our nervous system and and just being aware of, of all those things is to ask the question, how has this kept me safe? Wow. Like for me, how has white knuckling, how has suppressing my needs, how has uh, over accommodating people, how has uh, pushing hard all the time, How has uh, not giving myself permission to rest, how has that kept me safe? Wow. And not only has it kept me safe, um, but why have I needed it? And so, you know, folks who are listening, there's probably a whole range of, of stories, you know, maybe some folks who are listening really came from a family where there's potentially some significant trauma. Um, But even if you didn't, even if you just were raised in the culture that we live in, um, you've probably internalized messages about your value and your worth um, in, in the culture we live in. And so for me, it's helpful because then I can say to that voice, I can say to the voice who's like, well, Andy, you should have, you know, so-and-so got this done and uh, they have more on their plate than you do. Who do you think, like, why are you so lazy or whatever (laughs) for me to be able to say, like, like, I hear you, like, I hear you voice. (laughs) And I know that when I was a child, um, like I literally like to be able to have value, um, hustled real hard (laughs) to just, because, because attention was a slim commodity And so to get any of the attention was to have to stand out. And there was no room for my pain. There wasn't room for me to have a hard day. There wasn't room for me to not be okay. So I had to be okay all the time, even when things were profoundly not okay. And so I can look back at that part of myself and say, you know, I know, I know that that used to be true. And I, and I like, thank you so much. Like you've kept me safe. You've allowed me to get where I am. 
But now I'm a 38 year old woman and I have different resources and I have different choices. And that's not true for me anymore. Like what I know now is that I am beloved. I know I have people in my life who, if I say I can't get another thing done because I am burned up, like I can't. And they will say, you know what? That makes sense. And let's figure out what you need, you know? And that's, and that's the difference is that when my present day self can turn towards that younger part of myself who, who had to have that strategy to survive, can help them begin to say like, hey, I, I know it feels like an emergency. It's not. Like you're, you are safe now. Yeah. Or, you, or you don't need to do that anymore. And so for me, that allows that voice and it's not magic, <laughs> you know, it's sometimes we have to work with that part of ourselves, but it can help us to begin to soften. Yes. Yes. So we can receive that. I feel like I need to Venmo you money right now. Um, this is not a podcast. This just became um, breaking your Sabbath and sabbatical. Um, holy cow. This is so good. Okay. Back to, back to what you just said on page 12 uh, you say, the work of trying softer begins when we release our desire for the quick fix and tend to the wounds underneath the surface. Otherwise, we're going to stay stuck. And you, again, just what you just modeled, but you you use the word tend. And I think it's, again, it's it's it embodies what you just kind of walked through. Um, and again, I just, I think of, I don't try and tend and I think there's so many of us, we don't tend. Um, and, and I think we do stay stuck and we stay stuck and we communicate with harsher, with stronger supposed language. Um, and since we don't have access to that part of ourself, we can't love ourselves, which doesn't allow us to love our neighbor and then our sermons don't actually help. And so I, 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 I'm, you've sat through a number of sermons, I imagine. And I, I just, I think there's this piece right now where I'm thinking, gosh, like 2020 had to be the hardest year for the majority of pastors and the majority of humans uh, on so many levels, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, all of it. And I think, so many pastors are just white knuckling it through and they're now coming to a level of fatigue that they had uh, pre COVID and they just, whether civil unrest, whether politically, whether all ever, you know, this, their body tensed up and like, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep, we got to keep, we got to keep, you know, and just go and, and, I, and then I sit there and I go, gosh, by them not doing their work, all of these people are, are longing for a healthy guide. A, um, and so I think in one sense, I'd love just to hear your thoughts from, and what would you want from a pastor? What would you want from just uh, the kind of person? Because as my buddy Steve Cuss says, um, he he says that a great therapist and a great pastor and a great spiritual director, they want, 
and Jesus, they all want the same thing. Um, they want transformation, peace, freedom, and love. Like they want to lead you to that. Um, and so, which I've, I've just have not been able to stop thinking about if, if a good therapist isn't leading you towards more understanding of peace and freedom and love and transformation, uh, that's probably not a healthy therapist. And the same thing with a pastor. So, um, I guess from your experience and what you see, what would, what would be themes? Um, and I feel like there's a number of them that you dropped that spoke to me from TriSofter, but yeah. Are there any that just stand out to you? Yeah. I mean, gosh, so, so many thoughts. I think, um, you know, I'll just, just to, to be honest, I mean, church has been complicated for me for a lot of my life. Um, I've known and, you know, I've walked with Jesus my whole life. There's never been a time that I, that I haven't known Jesus and, and yet, um, I've known trauma my whole life too, you know, or I, or that's been a part of my life. And so I say that because I speak, um, from this unique location of like, I, I name that partly for myself that I always come from this place of that I am a trauma survivor. And so that doesn't, so that affects the lens, you know? And so I just, I share that because I think, um, the most helpful pastors, um, that I've experienced for me, there's usually a sense of one is humility for sure. Mm -hmm. Is that there is just this sense of um, humility leaves room to say, you know what, like this is what how I understand God today and what I bring to this to this space. And I know that there are things that I don't know. And I honor that. You know, I mean, I, I have had experiences and believe me when I say I've had, I've known some amazing pastors. I've seen some beautiful, beautiful desire to, to really do inner work. So just, I, you know, I, I want to balance this out, but I mean, I have literally, I remember we were trying out this one church and my friend introduced me to the head pastor and said, Andy's a therapist. He had done um, a, <laughs> a sermon on anxiety and he said, she, my friend said to the pastor, Andy is a, as a licensed therapist. And he said, oh, you probably learned a few things today. <laughs> and so, I mean, I, we didn't go back, you know, like, because for me, it's like, I mean, I've spent a lot of time, energy, lived experience doing this work. And, um, and so I think like, for me, I'm like that that's a, that's a profound lack of humility, um, in that area, you know? Um, and so, but, but on the contrary, like, I think there are people where there are times in sermons where I'll see, hear something and I'm like, you know, it makes me a little, I might squirm, but then the person says, you know, they leave some room, like they talk about it with some, in a way that says maybe, you know, like, maybe this is something that you're, I don't know, that you're seeing differently in your life right now, or maybe, I don't know, like there's just, I mean, obviously it depends on the the topic you're talking about, but I think for me, I always feel this sense of like, thanks. Yes. Because for me as a trauma-informed therapist, one of my high values 
is to empower clients to know what's going on with them and in their own body. Like, it's not my job to say, hey, here's your three things that you need to go do in your life. Actually, my job is to return power, to share power, to say, you are a human made in the image of God and you have embedded wisdom in your body. Let's help you tap into what what you already know. And I have the privilege to midwife you as you walk through the process of knowing like what's already yours, you know? And so, so I think that humility piece is huge. And then I think for me, the other part is really a coming back to the innate value because I think it's such attachment work. And I, and I, I feel like we lose that a lot. That's where we start. We start going into like, Hey, let me just tell you how to white knuckle it out here but we can't risk out here if we don't have a home base. If I don't know that when I go out and I fall flat on my face, that God is like, I got you. Like you just, I have got you. Like your value has never been about what you did and performed for me. So, so I, so come back and, and rest and, and be um, nourished and cared for. And I think those are the two biggest themes that when I see that high emphasis in those areas, um, I think there's, there's room for so many other things um, because it allows me to know like one, you're approachable, you know, like if this didn't hit right, um, because it like for me as someone who has, you know, quite a bit of knowledge in the trauma arena, like I have antenna, like I hear things and I'm like, Okay. You know, maybe we could say that differently kind of thing. <laughs> so, so those, yeah, those are the two big things. That's amazing. Um, I, I, I seriously, this, this has been so good. And I feel like there's so many places I, I, I feel like I've written down quotes after quotes after quotes from your book. And I've only said one of them. Um, what, one thing I do want to say about this book though, is what's so great is I love that you know, on the sides of the book, there are these moments and at the end of the chapters, just questions. Um, and it was just helpful for me because again, I feel like I am, um, you know, and I think a lot of pastors are like Fisher price, uh, when it comes to these conversations of like therapy and, and I've, and I've been doing my work and trying, uh, but like, I just feel like the, the moments just to step back, it, it was, a uh, there was a, a guide and, I, I saw on uh, Instagram recently that there's like a next level that you're releasing. Can you, can you just talk about that? Cause I actually think it would be so helpful to so many of my friends who I think are beginning this conversation, but just need some deeper help or kinder help. Yeah. Thanks for asking about that. Um, so I have, it's called the Tri Softer guided journey, um, a soulful companion to healing and so it, it really is a companion book to try softer and it's kind of, you know, the angle that I tried to take with, with the guided journey is like essentially like a, almost like a deeper, a deeper dive. Cause I cover a lot of ideas in try softer. <laughs> um, you and, do. And, yeah, it's a lot. I sometimes joke. I was like, it's kind of like hurting cats a little bit. <laughs> And initially, you know, until I felt like I really got, I mean, I felt like I found Trisofter is what brought it all together, essentially. 
But there were all these ideas because this is how I do therapy. These are all the things. And, and I was trying to figure out how do I bring it into one cohesive um, idea almost. And so, so the guided journey is almost like this is where I, I would go with, with you, with a person if we were in therapy and it was like, okay, let's break this. Like, like I know you see the big picture, so let's get a little bit more particular. Let's get a little bit more granular with your story and, and not just like knowing about the ideas, but how can we help you anchor that even more in your body, in your story, in your, in your, like, so it's integrated and not just another idea. That's amazing. What now, when does that release? That releases October 5th, October 5th. Oh my goodness. That, I mean, what a great resource. Cause I, again, just for so many pastors who you find yourself going, I don't necessarily know how to do this. And, and again, if you ever feel like you have to play therapist, um, no, that's outside your pay grade. Like that to recommend, I mean, it's the thing I constantly, constantly, constantly want to remind you. Um, some of us are really, really gifted at um, exegeting Greek and Hebrew, but trauma is not what we've studied in. And so when you meet people um, like Andy and others, like, please do um, you don't have to care for it. the best way you can care is direct them towards people who can shepherd and tend to those wounds well. And so, but I love that this resource for me selfishly, but also for me as a, as a means to, to reach out. Um, you're also amazing on social media. I love my wife and I love following you because I just feel like the, the things that you drop are just things that I will just spend, spend that day thinking about. Um, where can people find you? Yeah. So both on Instagram and Twitter at Andy Colber. Awesome. Super, super easy. Friends, do what you can. Please buy Try Softer, read it. Um, if if you don't like it, you can email me at Steve at Steve Ryan Carter. I'll pay you because uh, I guarantee you, you're going to like it. And But um, I will say this though, um, even just in 40 minutes, the, the ground that you've covered, um, you have a really, really, really amazing way at language. And the way that you just talked about um, empower to return power, it's just, I like, that's really, really beautiful. Like, and I, it makes me think of when I'm writing and crafting a sermon, one of the, the ways that, um, and I've never used that language to return power, to return that agency. Like, I, but, I, but it's, it's that piece of, are my words actually creating this space for them to sit and go, oh, I've got some agency here. Um, and I just, I, 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 I'm going to walk away thinking about that, thinking about fawning and going, oh my goodness, how often I do this. But I, I'd also love to hear from you all listening. What, what stood out to you, um, whether in the book, Try Softer, or just from some of the wisdom that Andy shared today, and, and maybe for you specifically from a pastoral side, where do you find um, the white knuckling? Where do you find that sense of fawning or freezing in you? Where do you find that, so, that side of just taking power rather than returning it? Um, we we want to walk with you in whatever way we can uh, with the Craft and Character team and um, you can always reach out. My email again is steve at steveryancarter.com uh, or, you know, follow us on social media. But um, friends, um, you don't have to do this alone. 
your craft matters, but it's really about your character. And I hope that this week, some of the things that Andy shared, you'll be able to just listen to what's actually going on in your body and that you will be able to kind of return, return to that anchored point of Christ and allow him to do what he can do to make you free, to bring you peace and to help you experience true transformation so that you can truly love your neighbor well as you love yourself. Much love, everyone. Grace and peace. And thank you very much, Andy, for joining us. Thank you.